Hello and welcome to another Perpetual Outsider podcast. Your host today, as always, is me, John Bensalia. Thank you for joining me. Now then, today we're looking at uh, one of the all-time classics, Doctor Who. Uh, certainly one of my favourites. We're looking at Horror Fan Rock. Uh, this is the first part, which went out on the 3rd of September 1977. So without further ado, let's gear up the shiny disc. DVD only this time, I'm afraid, folks. Um, unless you have Redbox or whatever other streaming nonsense you have. So, here we go in five, four, three, two, one, go. Here we go. Yeah, it's it's one of the all-time classics, this. It's just a brilliant story, and it works so well. For many reasons, which I'll go through, it was... Um, it was made in quite a period of, uh, I suppose you could call it turbulence, because um, it, Philip Hitchcliffe, the previous producer, met, and this was Graham Williams. Uh, I mean, the first broadcast run, uh, because he'd actually produced The Invisible Enemy, which proved to be a bit of a baptism of fire. It's certainly quite a manic introduction. Um, this was the second one to be produced. It was recorded um, between April and June 1977. Um, and there were various problems. The One of the biggest being that it was recorded in Pebble Mill Studios, uh, which uh, apparently Tom Baker was not too happy about. But anyway, I'm, I'm sure we'll come to those over the course of this story. So here we are in a deserted lighthouse. And there's Vince, played by John Abbott. His only appearance in the show. Um, he's he's appeared in various other things like uh, Four Weddings and the Funeral. I think he appeared in an episode of Bottom. Um, Ralph Watson has just come on the scene. He's been in the Underwater Menace. Um, he's been uh, he was Captain Knight in the Weathered Fear. He was Etis in the Monster of Peladon. And in between that is the uh, the gruff old Reuben, who was played by Colin Douglas, which is a bit odd because according to I'm not sure where it was. It might have been on the DVD subtitles or uh, maybe one of the documentaries. But apparently Colin Douglas wasn't really that happy about being in Doctor Who. I think he kind of looked down on it a little bit. I thought he was, I think he was, um, he, he thought it was a bit beneath him. I can't remember where it was. Oh, monster POV shot. Very spooky. A bit like the Robots of Death, but uh, with a black and white, black and white centre. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm not really quite sure why, if if it was so beneath him, why Colin Douglas agreed to return. But he's, he whatever, you know, he's he's very good here as, uh, as Ruben. You know, some, some great characters here, some great character actors. Um, Ru, uh, Ruben and Ben are talking about, you know, the difference between electricity and coal. Ruben, of course, is the uh, the old-fashioned one. He thinks that, you know, electricity is a big, big mistake. Um, ben is the younger, more progressive one, um, complete with very 1970s hair and moustache as well. <laughs> I'm not really sure if Lighthouse Keeper's hair was that long in the turn of the century, which is when this is meant to be said. But anyway, you know, Ben thinks that electricity is a much better deal. Um, I mean, we've all met we've all met people like Ruben, you know, that he prefer the old fashioned way. I mean, I've got, I've got to admit, I'm turning into a bit of a Ruben, you know. I, I just, you know, I think a lot of this newfangled stuff around these days is just, um, I, I just, I just can't get my head around it. 
God, I'll have to I'll have to grow the sideburns in, in tribute. I think. What were they eating there? Is that was it beef stew or something? I mean, the, the period design is wonderful. Paul Allen designs, and they've got all, everything down to the finest detail, including a jar of what looks like bovril on the table. I'm not sure how much bovril would be now, but uh, ugh, horrible, horrible stuff. But uh, anyway, so the fog's coming in. Afar. Yeah, some of the accents are a little bit or from uh, Darkest Mummer set or something. They all have to talk like And of course, when the uh, the posh people come, they're all going to talk terribly posh. Because, uh, the you know, there's there's quite a class divide between the, the characters and the stories we'll see. Oh, I spoke over the TARDIS loudly. Um, when, did, when did I first watch this? Um, I was... I think I saw a clip um, of this w when it first went out, um, and I was absolutely terrified of the music. Yes, uh, yeah, I think, I think I remember seeing the music for it and the titles, and I was absolutely terrified out of my wits. Um, so much so, um, well, well, we'll talk about that in the next episode, uh, birthday episode, um, and. Yeah, it, it, I just, I just hate the music. It, I just really, 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 really freaked me out. So you know, I never minded the monsters, I never minded the scary deaths, but you know, the original title music, it would make me run a mile screaming with my hands over my ears, etc. Um, but I think I didn't get to see it until um, my dad very kindly managed to get um, a mate of his who had UK gold at the time. And I gave him a blank tape to record it on, which was in uh, May 1997. Um, unfortunately, the video recorded to the tape up, but luckily, you know, I was so desperate to see it that I managed to get it to um, um, a, lo a local guy who, who managed to kind of like, you know, sort of fix videotapes and then... Um, uh, then actually record it onto another video. So I had, you know, kind of like a copy of um, the UK Gold on the bus with me. And luckily I, I managed to see most of it. Um, the only bit missing was when the Doctrine leader run down the stairs in, in part four, when when the Doctor's just rigged up the other laser beam. But, you know, it, it wasn't so much to affect my enjoyment of the show. And, and then, of course, the, the actual official video came out a year later, so I could actually get to see the whole thing. Uh, without the uh, the chewed up bit missing. Oh, there's something nasty in the coal hole. What's that? Oh, it's green. Very green. Purest green, as Percy would say. Yeah, even Vince's hair is way too long for the turn of the century. <laughs> you, can, you can tell it's, it's a 1970s production because of the uh, length of hair. Um, I mean, my... My first experience with Horror Fang, look, it, it would have been through the book, which was which was actually the very first paperback that I bought in. Uh, I remember April the 9th, 1983. I can actually remember the day that I bought it. Uh, it was it was a Saturday, and um, it was it was my very first uh, paperback book that I bought. I'd seen it in the library. I remember seeing the uh, the wonderful Jeff Cummings illustration in a library. I think when I was five. Um, and I, I was always intrigued by that. I always remembered that the of a jacket illustration with the doctor um, with the rope over his shoulder and the bowler hat and 
that the lighthouse in the background. Really moody, wonderful, atmospheric cover. Um, but of course, I, I, I didn't get to um, I didn't get to buy it until yeah, I was you know eight and a bit years old. But yeah, I, I, I just you know devoured it. You know, just you know re read it you know from cover to cover in one go, and then uh, over and over again in the uh, in the days before we had you know videos and DVDs. And poor old Ben is about to meet his maker, I think. It's a bit like the structure of the Robots of Death. You know, you get the red shirt. You know, in that case, it was Chubb, who's like killed off about eight minutes into the story. Uh, to be, yeah, eight minutes and 32, no, seven minutes and 32. Here we go. Yeah, they reuse a screen for when Vince gets bumped off. I'm not sure whether... Vince's scream is dubbed over Ben's scream, or Ben's scream is dubbed over Vince's scream. I don't know. Um, it, it sounds more like Ralph Watson screaming. But I mean, that, you know, it's classic Doctor Who, isn't it? You know, a hapless red shirt gets, uh, gets bumped off by an unseen nasty about seven minutes in. And uh, of course, the, the Doctor and the Companion, uh, in this case, it's Leela, played wonderfully by Louise Jameson, um, get, to, get to investigate. Ruben being a bit supernatural here. Taint natural. Yeah, here, go, here comes Tom and Louise. Tom Baker, just just a powerhouse performance in this one. Just marvellous. What, what I like about Tom's Doctor is the way he can just go from mood to mood in the blink of an eye, you know, in just, you know, literally in one scene. You know, he can be funny, he can be alien, he can be brooding, he can be mischievous. All in all in one scene. Good technician uh, joke from the face of evil. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, it's that wonderful unpredictability of this benevolent alien that he was creating, which just is wonderful. And I know they, they weren't getting on at the time, but I think he really works well with Leela in this one. Um, this was said to be the turning point for... Tom and Louise's relationship because Louise insisted that you know I think I think it was the bit when Tom suddenly rushes through the door and Leela um Leela was kind of obscured by that or something. I'm I'm not sure what exactly the deal was with that. But apparently Louise Jameson actually stood up to Tom Baker and uh, and from then they uh, their working relationship was a little bit smoother. I think. And of course now, you know, now they're best friends. You know, they've done some wonderful DVD commentaries together. Yeah, I, I like the way that, you know, the Doctor just, you know, sort of instantly barges in and takes, you know, takes, you know, centre stage. Don the bowl, the, you know, the bowler hat from the, uh, the cover illustration there. Meeting up with Vince. And it's it's just good old fashioned mystery, isn't it? I mean, it's it's the um, it's the ideal Doctor Who to actually you know sort of watch in you know, um, you know on a, a dark winter's night, you know, and uh, you know the lights are out, and uh, you know it's freezing cold, but you know you've got you know a hot cup of tea or coffee and uh, buttered toast, that sort of thing, you know. I mean, it's it's probably a little bit. You know, um, you know, it was you know sort of very late summer, early September, so very early autumn, um, when this when this first went out. So not quite the uh, the right the the right winter conditions. It was probably a bit too 
lies. <laughs> I, I really, I, you know, um, Leela is is just a wonderful creation. You know, her ignorance of the, you know, customs and traditions. You know, and you put her in an Earth setting, and she's hilarious. You know, right now she's just. <laughs> Just casually undressing in front of Vince, who's just you know just gone redder than a tomato there. <laughs> He's putting his hands over his eyes, so you know in embarrassment. You know. Whereas these days, you know, probably just be you know part of the course. You know. But yeah, she's great. I mean, we we just have the talents of Wayne Cheyenne before this story, and there's some moments of real Lena Gold in that. You know, like when she's eating the meat. Um, with her hands and Professor Lightfoot has to be all gentlemanly and actually do the same it's it's just wonderful it's a really inspired you know kind of template for a companion and I think unfortunately after this I don't think she was given apart from the Sunmakers maybe Image of the Fendal maybe bits of the Invasion of Time but I think especially in The Invisible Enemy and Underworld I, I don't really think she got she got the chance to shine as brightly as she did in, in the earlier stories, which is a shame. You know, I, I think all potential was lost. They kind of turned her into a kind of cliche comedy savage, which is, which is, which is a shame, you know. You know, d despite Louise Jameson actually doing the level best to, um, you know, bring the character to life, even in stories that didn't work like Underworld. <clears throat> oh, Ben's a goner. Poor old Vince. <laughs> yeah, the design of this is, is just awesome. I mean, considering, you know, considering that they had a real shoestring budget, I think Paul Allen just worked wonders with, with what he could. I mean, it's, uh, it's incredible. Apparently, uh, Paddy Russell, the director, actually took um, Paul Allen to a, a genuine lighthouse and he would work from designs of that and he would work from designs of books. But the whole thing just looks really authentic. Every level just works. And of course, it's the ultimate base under siege story, isn't it? You know, you've got a claustrophobic environment, you know, quite cramped rooms, not much room to move about. You've got an alien on the inside. There's, there's nowhere to escape. It's, it's just perfect absolutely ideal and it's it's one of the reasons why you know this is this is in my all-time top 10 stories it's it's just a, a classic that stands up to repeated viewing miss ben's lantern in the book i think it says what kind of alien creature could do that yeah i like i like the way you know old reuben makes the sign of cross there he, he does that again when he uh, later goes into uh, the coal hole for the end of part two but I mean, they're, they're all well-defined characters. And this is where, you know, having Terence Dix on board as a writer, I think he's uh, a real asset because he, he just understands Doctor Who and the, the basics of good, good old-fashioned, coherent storytelling inside out. He's got the characters, you know, off, you know, completely to a T. You know, you've got young, inexperienced, nervous and shy Vince. You've got the bluff, xenophobic, old-fashioned um you know actually kind of passive aggressive Ruben. Um and none of the you know apart from Vince I would say none of the characters are particularly likable. Um you know e even Skin Sale's got a you know a bit of a dark streak. 
running through him, but they all are, are just really compelling characters to watch. And that is down to Terence Sticks doing an expert job, especially with a, with a rush job that he had, because originally he actually put up what would become State of Decay um, with, with a few rewrites here and there. Uh, I think he called it the Vampire Mutations at this point. But because the BBC were doing their own version of Dracula in December 1977, the BBC didn't want anything to kind of interfere or kind of imply that it was taking the mickey out of it. So he had to come up with um, a hastily cobbled together script um, suggested to him by Robert, Light, uh, Robert Holmes to be on the lighthouse. Robert Lighthouse? I don't know, that'd be an interesting one. So he had to come up with uh, with, uh, with a story in very quick time. And he, he wasn't happy about it, I suppose. It was kind of Robert Holmes's revenge for uh, for the Time Warrior, which he, uh, which he didn't like writing, you know, because it was a historical. And Terence Sticks didn't like, enjoy writing it, but the end result is, uh, is absolute class. I really, I really like this scene, actually. Just the sheer content that the Doctor has for kind of Ruben's old-fashioned values, you know. He's, he, he just sees the bigger picture, really. And Leela's alien mannerisms, even, you know, even down to eating, really unusually. She's not, she's eating with a knife rather than a fork. Which I suppose is progress from eating with hands, you know. I suppose eating stew with your hands could be a bit messy. Stop an old mule. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a ghost story, isn't it? It's a, it's a good old fashioned Victorian. Well, it's is it Victorian? I'm not sure, but it's you know, it's a period period drama, isn't it? Which which is one thing that Doctor Who always does well. I kind of tend to do that a fair bit in the, the season openers of the Tom Baker stories because the year before he had the Mask of Man drag rig, you can't get much more period setting than that. Rebot's operation is kind of like a you know sort of a period costume drama. And of course you've got this one. Good Dudley Simpson music there. Curiously, there's there's not as much as um as there is in previous stories. You know, there's um, only you know sort of little bits here and there. I think part two is the one with least amount of music. But it just proves that you don't need one long continuous suite of music, you know, and a pompous choir to screech all over the action. Sometimes you just need the actors to actually do the job. Or the sound effects, you know, it's, it's much creepier that way. Not naming any names. Hurry, go! It's a it's a really great bit of design. The uh, the lamp room, you know, you've got the revolving, um, you've got the revolving thing in the middle, and you've got and actually the uh, the CSO in the background actually doesn't doesn't look too bad, um, for you know for the outside, it, it it really doesn't look too bad at all. This is a lovely bit of music, actually. It really adds to the kind of moodiness of the scene. We're on e we're at Ealing now because they did a little bit of Ealing filming in. Uh, early May 1977, really the model filming in late April, I think something like the 26th of April, and then this was done between 4th and 6th of May, I think, 1977. And it's wonderful, it just, it looks like a real beach. 
It's amazing what you can do when you turn the lights down low, pump copious amounts of dry ice everywhere. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, just, you know, bung a few rocks here and there, but it, it just looks really authentic. It's wonderful. But a lot of this is down to the lighting and it, it, it does look really good. I'm not sure you did that. I'm not sure if it's, it could be either Bob Gel or David Hughes. I forget, I forget which one it is. All dead fish. There you go. Leela could actually get those and have, a, have them for tea. I mean, they're probably, you know, already cooked thanks to the reason if they've been electrocuted. Oh, sorry, go game away there. Never mind. You've seen it before. What is it? Have? Yeah, why does Tom always call it galley free? <laughs> every every episode that meant that he mentions Gallifrey, it's always galley free. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Tom not looking at his fellow actors. Um I mean, I I think it actually adds to the alienness of the of the Doctor, you know, because you know, I mean, I can talk. I, I can never look people in the eye. I'm, all, I'm always looking at, always looking elsewhere, um, unless I'm, I know you very well because it's it's just me and shines. Uh, I just rubbish around people, unless I know them very well. More mysterious Leela investigating. She's a complete contrast to Sarah Jane. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's an inspired contrast, really, you know, because she just ventures out on her own. She's tough and resourceful, feisty. And uh, as Louise Jameson said, it was kind of like riding the crest of a feminist wave. Which I think she says in every DVD commentary. But uh, no, that's, that's not fair. No, she, no, her commentaries are actually very good. Oh, mysterious POV. They love their POV shots in Doctor Who around this time. Because, of course, you had the Vop robots in Robots of Death. You had, uh, I suppose, the Ivor Dragon in um, um, but, 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 Talons of Wing Cheyenne. You had, um, you had the Fendal, Fendaline point of view in part one of Image of Fendal when it creeps up on the Doctor at the end of part one. Lots of great POV shots. <laughs> So already we're coming into the end of part one, and it's just whizzed by. I mean, it feels like, you know, just literally, literally two minutes ago that I was uh, beginning this commentary. I mean, it's it's the sign of a good Doctor Who when it when it just goes way too quickly. But this this is just such a classic story. But, and there there is a but. Um, the ending is, the cliff. some of the cliffhangers are not the greatest. And this is probably the weakest cliffhanger of all, I think. It feels more like a pause in the narrative. It feels like the most convenient place to pause the narrative rather than acting as a, you know, a real, you know, gripping cliffhanger to tempt people back next week. It just kind of feels a little bit, you know, I mean, it's, it's not really very exciting, you know, a rather kind of wobbly airfix kit model of a ship crashing onto some polystyrene rocks. It just doesn't really, I don't know, it's, it's just not, not the most dynamic cliffhanger. But despite that, I mean, you know, I, I can't fault the story at all. And the problem is, it the it kind of lingers on this rather clumsy shot. You know, I mean, you can, 
you can tell that it's a model unfortunately despite the best efforts but you know what can you do yeah it's, it's just lingering way too long and of course in the uk gold compilation um it was an omnibus they didn't have these titles they only have the other titles of the m one so you didn't get to see um poor old ben or harker's name um but all the others you did these are the original clothing titles there's one thing i've noticed about the dvd and blu-rays is that they uh um they remake them I don't, I don't really know why to be honest i mean why not just keep the original closing titles as is um but i, I think they remade the open i'm such a nerd i could i could recognize the difference um you know in the opening titles uh I've, i remember i think the opening title music is a lot heavier from what i remember a lot of bass on the opening titles but never mind um that was horror fan part one Thank you for joining me. I uh, hope to uh, be with you again soon for part two. But in the meantime, thank you for listening in and it's goodbye for now. Bye bye.